0: a podcast by the Supreme Court by Law360. I'm Natalie Rodriguez, and joining me as usual, Supreme Court reporter Jimmy Hoover. Hey, Jimmy, court's back in session. Are you excited?
1: I am excited. Uh, we have opinions coming on Thursday, which will drop kind of after we record today's episode on Wednesday. Um, so keep an eye out for that. We have a pretty special episode we have on uh, senior energy reporter, Keith Goldberg, to talk about Monday's big oral arguments in West Virginia versus the Environmental Protection Agency, possibly the biggest environmental case of the term involving the scope of the EPA's authority to regulate greenhouse gases. But we also have a big CERT grant to go over. But first, there's some news coming out of the, what do we call it, SCOTA sweepstakes?
0: Or Briar Retire Watch?
1: That's right. Uh, So multiple outlets are reporting that The three uh, contenders for the Supreme Court that we've been talking about to take over Justice Breyer's seat California Associate Supreme Court Justice Leandra Kruger, uh, DC Circuit Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, and U.S. District Judge in South Carolina, J. Michelle Childs, have all sat down for their interviews with President Biden. So we don't know exactly how those went, but like I said last week, I suspect that these interviews are going to play a big role in whoever emerges as the ultimate nominee, which Biden says will, or originally said will, uh, come before the end of the month. So he's still on track to meet that deadline.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, just how fast, and uh, you know, if, if we'll get it like the last day of February or something. Uh, but on the edge of my seat here to see who will be the nominee.
1: Let's turn to some. Uh, docket updates at the Supreme Court before we talk to Keith about uh, Monday's oral arguments. Um, There was a pretty interesting cert grant uh, this week in a case called 303 Creative versus Elenis. So the question that the Supreme Court has agreed to consider in this case is, quote, whether applying a public accommodation law to compel an artist to speak or stay silent Violates the free speech clause of the First Amendment. I don't know, Natalie. Does this sound familiar to you?
0: I, I feel like I'm getting lots of deja vu here. Uh, what what exactly is happening in this case? And, and let's let's dig into it. The details.
1: Well, just to kind of the long and short of it is that the Supreme Court is wading back in to what you know. I guess we'll call the wedding wars. These are the this is the ongoing battle between LGBTQ rights and religious wedding vendors over those businesses attempts basically to refuse service for same-sex ceremony. So this is the famous case of this in 2018, Masterpiece Cake Shop versus the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. This also comes from Colorado. It's from a website designer who wants to enter into the wedding website business but wants to, you know, have a stated policy of refusing to perform her services for same-sex Weddings. So, uh, what the plaintiff in this case, Lori Smith, has done is essentially to file a, a federal lawsuit seeking to block um, the uh, Colorado's anti-discrimination law as unconstitutional when it comes to her uh, free ex- or her First Amendment freedom of speech rights, and to be able to essentially refuse to create these website designs for uh, weddings that she says violates her her religious faith.
0: Okay, so. Coming out of Colorado again, is this the same act that was at the center of the Masterpiece Cake Shop uh, case too?
1: Yeah, that's right. This is the public accommodations law that is enforced by the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, which was the agency that brought that um, enforcement action against the Christian Baker in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, Jack Phillips. Um, Now, if you recall, In that case, the Supreme Court did rule in favor of Phillips that the Colorado uh, Civil Rights Commission had violated his First Amendment rights and they ruled uh, against the agency and for the baker. But they did so on, on very narrow ground. So they ducked kind of the larger constitutional issues of whether there is this you know, First Amendment right to essentially be exempt from some application of the public accommodations law and, and refuse service in the case of Phillips to, you know, a, a gay couple that was seeking a custom wedding cake. And in the case of Smith, uh, you know, prospective LGBTQ customers who want to design these websites for to advertise their, their weddings to friends and family and so on and so forth. So so uh, her lawyers, you know, had sought a preliminary injunction in federal court against enforcement of the law the district court rejected the challenge it upheld the law in a decision that was later affirmed by the 10th circuit which cues up her appeal of the Supreme Court, which was just granted on Monday. So this basically sets up, you know, this big LGBTQ rights battle, um, possibly for next term. It's a little late this term to be adding cases to the oral argument calendar. So we should probably expect a ruling or at least oral arguments sometime in the fall or later, and a decision even later than that, possibly sometime around the summer of you know 2023 or something. Um, so uh, you know, Smith's attorneys argue that she seeks to bring glory to. God God by creating unique expression that shares her religious beliefs, including her faith's view that marriage is between one man and woman, and she cannot create messages inconsistent with her Christian faith. That's what her lawyers wrote in her petition to the Supreme Court. Of course, Colorado's civil rights agency is saying that, you know, this is a basically a strict uh, regulation of a commercial business when it comes to a kind of standard public accommodations law and that uh, you know there should not be carve outs for discrimination based on these religious beliefs. So it's it's deja vu all over again <laughs> and uh, we're we're going to essentially get right back into the into the into the very muddy waters of um, this very contentious issue that's divided a lot of the lower courts. It's you know obviously led to you know, a lot of, um, litigation around the, the country. So, uh, the, the justices are waiting back in and it's just another sign of how eager, um, this, this current court is to tackle some of these big headline grabbing issues, whether we're talking about, you know, uh, LGBTQ rights or, um, abortion or gun rights, so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, I I was about to say you you hate to try to read the tea leaves too much uh, in general with the justices, but it certainly does signal like I feel like it does signal that they are they're taking this case and they want to rule on the constitutionality issue. Um, They would you know, it it doesn't seem like they'd be taking it to rule on a narrow ground again necessarily necessarily. you know, obviously, um, also the composition of the Supreme Court has changed significantly since 2018, when Masterpiece was first ruled on. Um, specifically, the uh, the writer of the majority opinion for that case, um, and longtime swing vote Justice Anthony Kennedy, has been replaced with Justice Brett Kavanaugh, and there are also two other Trump appointees. Um, so that changes the dynamics of how I think you know arguments will go in in this case, and. It, there's, you know, an opportunity here, um, Jimmy. I know we've talked about it for uh, the the um, conservative side of the bench to kind of flex its muscle a little bit here on this on this topic.
1: That's a good way to put it, Natalie. So, so why don't we turn to our main segment this week of taking a look at a big case that's going to be argued on Monday. Uh, the Supreme Court is going to hear arguments in what I think is the biggest environmental case of the term. West Virginia versus EPA, which centers around the scope of the EPA's authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. Now, joining us to preview the oral arguments is Law 360's senior energy reporter, Keith Goldberg. Welcome to the show, Keith. Thanks for having me. So, the legal issue at the heart of this case sounds fairly straightforward, but it has a complicated backstory that you uh, laid out in, in a recent story of yours. And one that spans three presidential administrations, in fact. So, can you give us kind of the Spark Notes version of how we got to the Supreme Court?
2: Well, it really goes back to the Obama administration's attempts to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from the power sector uh, using its so called Clean Power Plan. Um, while the DC Circuit was considering the Clean Power Plans legality, the Supreme Court surprisingly stayed the regulation in 2016. Um, It was the first time the court had ever put a regulation on hold while the D.C. Circuit was considering legal challenges to it. And following the stay, the D.C. Circuit continued its consideration of the case, but then put the rule on hold uh, once President Donald Trump took office. And his administration signaled that they would uh, rescind the Clean Power Plan and release a greenhouse gas emissions rule of its own. Um, That happened in 2019, uh, the so-called Affordable Clean Energy, or ACE, rule. That rule was promptly challenged in court. And a couple of days before President Trump left office, uh, the D.C. Circuit invalidated the ACE rule, saying basically the administration wrongly rescinded the clean power plan and wrongly crafted the the ace rule and that takes us to the Biden administration which had vowed to enact its own regulation governing greenhouse gas emissions from the power sector
1: that's a that's a pretty able way of wrapping up what has been a pretty complicated litigation history so if we can just kind of cut to the point here, so it sounds like the Biden administration has said it's not going to be resurrecting the CPP as it was originally crafted under the Obama administration, and the appeals court has in fact stayed its decision to overturn the rescission of that 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 power plan. so
2: with that in mind, what's really at stake in this case? Well, that's the interesting thing about this, and that was what made it so surprising that the that the court took this took this case at this point. There is no active rule that the Supreme Court is reviewing here. So essentially, the court has taken this case to sort of determine sort of the scope of the EPA's authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions um, You know, in urging the Supreme Court not to take the case. Uh, The Biden administration had argued with no rule to review, the Supreme Court would essentially be giving an advisory opinion about what's the scope of the EPA's authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions.
0: So so what are the Republican states that have brought the appeal? What are they saying in terms of their briefing to the court for why this should go forward?
2: Well, they're arguing that the D.C. Circuit's decision gives the EPA authority to regulate the greenhouse gas emissions of the power sector in a way that would shift the power sector from coal and other fossil fuels to renewable energy. And that's just something that the Clean Air Act doesn't allow the EPA to do. They argue the EPA does not have that broad authority in the Clean Air Act to essentially Direct a transformation of the U.S. power sector from one powered by coal and other fossil fuels to one primarily powered by renewable energy.
1: Right. I, I, isn't it right that their argument is that the the Clean Air Act, or this particular provision of the Clean Air Act, where that um, is that issue in this case? These Republican states say is kind of narrowly tailored to the EPA's ability to regulate know, the, the the pollution at the source and not kind of reach beyond that. Could you kind of explain that element of the case?
2: So uh, Republican-led states and some coal industry groups have argued that Section 111 of the Clean Air Act only limits the EPA to mandating improvements at, within the boundaries of the power plant facility itself, and can't suggest a uh, other ways of reducing greenhouse gas emissions that go beyond the quote-unquote fence line of a power plant, things like state energy efficiency programs or regional cap-and-trade programs. And they would like the Supreme Court to hold that the EPA's authority is, in fact, limited to actions within the fence line of a power plant to restrain them in any future regulations targeting greenhouse gas emissions.
1: So basically, telling the Biden administration that they can't reenact some flavor or version of the Obama era's clean power plan—they have to kind of narrowly tailor it to the fence that's, line. That's correct.
0: Well, Biden and, and any future administrations, right? I mean, essentially, this. So, so essentially, this would. This case has the ability to significantly define the extent of the Clean Air Act, right?
2: Basically, this case this case has the potential to clearly define the scope of the EPA's authority under the Clean Air Act to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from the power sector.
0: So what is the Biden administration arguing?
2: Well, the Biden administration has leaned heavily on the argument that since there is no active rule here for the Supreme Court to review, the court should Dismiss this case as being improvidently granted. Um, they argue that the harms being asserted by the challengers are premature because there is no rule on no active rule on the books yet, and the administration has not yet crafted rule. Um, they've also argued if the case does go to the merits, that essentially the D.C. Circuit got it right and Section. 111 of the Clean Air Act does not explicitly limit the EPA to acting on greenhouse gas emissions solely within the fence line of a power plant.
1: So I think we have a good understanding of the arguments on both sides of this kind of straightforward statutory interpretation case. Um, Now, you also, Keith, wrote a really interesting feature about another case that was recently up at the Supreme Court involving what is known as the major questions doctrine. So turning kind of to that case, what does the Supreme Court's decision last month to block Biden's vaccine mandate have to do with this Greenhouse Gas Clean Air Act case that's set for oral argument on Monday?
2: Well, in the vaccine case, the Supreme Court majority held that the Biden administration uh, overstepped its authority with its uh, emergency vaccine rule, and in in its decision, it's a you know Congress only gave um, the Biden administration the authority to enact workplace safety standards, not broad public health measures, and that's a pretty narrow view of agency statutory authority, um, which suggests that at least the Supreme Court's conservative majority. Um, has a potential issue with kind of the broad view of Clean Air Act authority the D.C. Circuit uh, seemed to think that the Obama administration had when it uh, invalidated the Trump administration's ACE rule.
0: So what kind of questions will you be looking out for at Monday's hearing?
2: I'll be really interested to see the scope of the questions from the justices, particularly the conservative majority If the questions are sort of more narrowly tailored to what is the EPA's authority under Section 111 of the Clean Air Act, that could suggest that the justices might be looking at a potentially more narrow ruling on on the EPA's authority. But if there are a lot of questions regarding the so-called major questions doctrine, Uh, directed at the uh, lawyers giving oral arguments, um, that would suggest that the justices are considering making a sort of more broader pronouncement on the scope of agency authority. So those are the the types of questions I'll be interested to see if the justices uh, focus in on that, because there was definitely a focus of uh, the decision to block the Biden administration's uh, COVID-19 vaccine mandate.
1: No, it's a really interesting issue, one that seems to be coming up at the Supreme Court more and more recently, um, with this new conservative majority that seems intent on kind of uh, curtailing the power of these administrative agencies um, through these broad interpretations of kind of older statutes. Um, I, I'm curious myself to see whether the issue of the non-delegation doctrine, which is kind of related to the major questions doctrine, kind of rears its head, basically saying that, you know, assuming that the Clean Air Act does give the EPA this authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions beyond the fence line, is that an unconstitutionally broad delegation of power to the agency? And that's, you know, I don't think the court has yet held that a statutory provision, has violated the non-delegation doctrine um, since, you know, the 30s, since the New Deal era. But we know from some of the writing of the justices, Gorsuch in particular, that they're pretty intent on kind of putting some teeth back into it. And maybe this could be a a case where that happens.
2: Yes. And, uh, you know, Justice Gorsuch, uh, and who was joined by Justice Thomas and and Alito, uh, wrote a concurrence in the vaccine case uh, where he kind of explicitly laid out why the mandate ran afoul of not only major questions, but the non-delegation doctrine as well. It's interesting that the court's other conservatives didn't sign on to that right. concurrence, which raises the question of whether there is a sufficient majority of justices to you know, make a big, broad pronouncement on non-delegation in the EPA case. Um, but that doesn't mean that the court couldn't make a, Broad pronouncement on major questions in the in the EPA case. Um, even the uh, even though the other the court's other conservatives didn't sign on to that concurrence, there was still plenty of reference to major questions in the main opinion uh, blocking the vaccine mandate. Fascinating stuff. Well, thanks so much,
1: Keith, for coming on, breaking down this this interesting yet complex uh, case. We'll we'll certainly be looking out for your coverage uh, of the oral arguments on Monday. Great.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: So that was a fascinating discussion on greenhouse gases. Um, always great to have Keith on. Uh, Jimmy, I think that just about does it, though, for us today.
1: Yeah, thanks, Natalie, and, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in.
0: We'd like to thank our producers, Stephen Trader and Kelly Marcano, and our executive producer, Amber McKinney. We'd also like to thank special guests, Keith Goldberg, Music for the show comes from Slenderbeats. Beats, for more information about all the High Court action, please go to lawthrough60.com slash the term. You can also find us anywhere listening on podcasts, just search Law Through Sixty in the Term. Thanks for listening and oh, please write us a review.